Well, good morning again, everybody. We are so glad that you are with us here um, at Pomerado Christian Church. I know you are continuing to, to say hi to one another, and, and we'll have a few moments to, to continue to connect after service. But I just want to, again, thank you all for joining us here at Pomerado Christian Church, a place in which uh, we want to make sure that we are plugged into the people and the purpose of the church, that we are people who aren't perfect, but we're people who've been changed by God to make a change in this world, and that we are people who are called to be witnesses to who God is, what he's done, and how he loves. And so we as a church are plugged in, changed by a call to, and that is like our church initials, PCC. Again, hopefully something that is easy enough for us to remember, and that it would be the calling for us to live out. And so we are so thankful that you are with us this morning, whether this is your first time or whether you've been with us for years. Uh, we are thankful for this opportunity to worship together, to get to connected in community and plugged in, and to be able to dive into God's word together this morning. And so what we want to do, and what I want to do, is to kind of set the stage for the next several weeks as we begin our Advent series. And our Advent series is called The Herald. And, and when you hear Herald, like, I don't know what some of you think. Some of you might think um, about like an angel blowing a horn. Some of you might think, just start singing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, because that's like the only time uh, that we use that word. Or maybe some of you, if you have young kids, you don't think of Herald spelled this way, but you like Herald in the Purple Crayon. Delightful book. Um, but... For us, you know, maybe some of you think of a newspaper. You think of this idea of, of, you know, that it's a herald, that it's going to be something that communicates what's going on. But the actual meaning of the word herald is this idea that it is a sign that something is about to happen. And so it's a fitting description for us as we enter into a season of Advent. That all around us, we hear Christmas songs being played. We see people posting on Facebooks their perfectly uh, decorated Christmas trees, but not like the time before it when it's all crazy. Um, we see the moments of people just, you know, going Christmas lights and are driving through and doing different things. So Christmas is upon us. Christmas is coming. And, and it's all of these can be signs of something that's about to happen, that we're going to celebrate Christmas. But for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, we recognize that it's not about the presence we get under the tree, but Christmas is about the presence of God's son who died on a tree for us. And so for this morning, as, as we set the tone of what this looks like for the next several weeks, is that the Herald is going to be a series as we go through Isaiah 9, verse 6, which we read here earlier. The idea that there was a Herald, there was someone who was proclaiming that there is something that is about to happen. And so as we take the next several weeks to look at the names of Jesus looked through in Isaiah 9, 6, we're going to see what that meant to the people at that time. What did those words mean to the, in the Old Testament? How did Jesus fulfill it? And then what does that mean for us? So will you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready to dive into our new series as well as our first sermon. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you are here in this place. We thank you that there are people all across the world this day giving you honor, glory, and praise. And may we at Palmerado Christian Church just be one, adding our voice to that choir of your people and your children. Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a powerful, personal, impactful way to each and every person that is here and to each and every person that might be listening online later. Lord, may they know that they are prayed for, cared for, and loved by you ultimately and by us as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as we begin this week, our, our, the first title of um, 
The first title given to Jesus in Isaiah 9, 6 is Wonderful Counselor. And so that's going to be our focus this morning, diving into that a little bit. And for many of us, when we think of the word counseling or counselor, we often will go to uh, someone who helps us process through either past traumas or current dilemmas or help us be free from uh, things in the future so we can move forward. And so, you know, I remember I went to counseling when I was a sophomore um, in high school and I was struggling with depression and I was feeling suicidal, sophomore, junior year. And I remember going to a counselor and I just wasn't open to it. And so it just, honestly, I didn't, I didn't share. So there wasn't much the counselor could do. And so it was one of those where it wasn't the best um, experience for me. But then just a few years ago, I, I just thought to myself, you know, I think there's a stigma or there can be a stigma with counseling, which doesn't need to be there because we all need someone to be able to help walk us through things. And yes, we have pastors who would who'd be able to do that. But I know I have, I'll meet with couples and it's like, I can help you with what I can help you, but I'm not trained to be a counselor. I don't have all that background. But it's one of those where a few years ago, because I was like, I don't need to give into the stigma. I went to counseling a couple of years ago and it wasn't necessarily anything specific, but it's just kind of a general, I would love to have someone help bounce off some ideas to help me process some things, to ask good questions. And he was, he was a Christian counselor who helped me to maybe see how the Lord was working. And so that, because I was open to the counseling, because I was open to his advice, it was an infinitely better experience. Now for us, we may, again, some people might feel like there's a stigma to that, but let me just give you a couple, a couple brief uh, statistics from the Barna Group about counseling that was published in February of 2018, just nine months ago, 10 months ago. And it said just some, some stats and figures that 42% of American adults have seen a counselor at some point, that 13% are currently seeing and 28% are in the past, which if you're like me, you're like, but 13 plus 28 is 41. Where's the extra percentage come? I don't know. I'm not the one that made the study. Um, 35% are open to it, that have never seen it. 35% are open, and only 23% are just like, no, I'm, I'm, that's not for me. They've noticed especially that there's a difference in the generations, that millennials and, and Gen X uh, people are more open to it, that 21%, um, sorry, 21% of millennials are currently in counseling, 16% of Gen X are currently in counseling, only 8% of boomers are currently in counseling, and only 1% of elders are in counseling, they recognize that it's only 15% of millennials that aren't open to it, 18% of Gen X aren't open to it, 30% of boomers aren't open to it, and 34% of elders aren't open to it. Now, I just give you this because you can see that there may be uh, some, some stigma, there may be some reason why we're not open to that, why we've never done it. Um, and it, it's based on the ages, doesn't make one age right or wrong, it's just the acknowledgement of where different generations are. So when we hear the word counselor, some of these other things might be popping off and we might have a, either a natural inclination towards Jesus being a wonderful counselor, or we might have some sort of, maybe not a blockage, but just some sort of reason why that seems a little off for us, we may not be open to it. But what we want to do this morning with the time that we have remaining is to be able to talk through the fact that there are two ways, your main point in the notes is that there are two ways that Jesus serves as our counselor, but there's only one way that he knows how to do it, and that's wonderfully. And so we're going to dive into the scripture that there are two ways that he serves as our counselor. And we're going to dive into that. One's coming from the Old Testament, and then one is embodied in the New Testament. There's two ways, but there's only one way he knows how, and that is wonderfully. And so we're going to take a few moments to dive into that. And so the first thing that, that we're going to do is I'm going to read once again Isaiah 9, 6, just so we could again re reestablish where we are so that 
It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so we're going we're gonna to dive into the two ways that Jesus serves as our Wonderful Counselor. The first one is that Jesus is our advisor. He's an advisor. The idea of a counselor, when, when Isaiah would write this, the, t- the time when that word counselor is used in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, is referring primarily to a governmental or, or a, a militaristic, a military counselor. Someone who would give the king or a ruler some input, some wisdom there. That we see an example, just one example of is Rehoboam, who when uh, Solomon died, uh, Rehoboam was his son, and he had advisors. He had counselors who were there to say, hey, you know what? Your dad was really hard on the people um, be- to, in order to build the temple. It would be wise for you to be less uh, harsh or, or work, uh, have them not work quite as hard. And so he heard that, but he didn't listen to his wise counsel. He didn't listen to his advisors. He listened to his friends. And his friends said, no, be even stronger, be even firmer, get even more done. And while that happened... Because of that happening, the southern kingdom got completely split and the northern kingdom. So then Rehoboam stayed with the southern. Jeroboam was in the northern. And the tribes of Israel were never fully united again in history. So, so we can see that wise counsel is important, but that's the original idea. So Jesus is our advisor. Not that we are kings and he's giving us counsel, but that he's the one with authority and we would listen to what he has to say. So we see that the first thing is that he teaches with authority. That we see this in Matthew 7, uh, verses 28 through 29. It says that when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. That when Jesus spoke, people listened. Not just because he had the most knowledge, because the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they would have had the whole Hebrew scripture, Old Testament memorized by the time that they were teenagers. So it wasn't that they didn't know it, but, but Jesus spoke with authority. Why? Because he's the author and perfecter of our faith, but we'll get to that in a moment. So he teaches with authority, and when someone with authority in a specific subject or specific idea advises you, you would be wise to listen. That if you're someone who works in the financial market, you do not want to get your advice from me. I have no idea about that in regards to like stocks and bonds and CDs. These are things, right? I think these are things. Um, but just this idea of like, this is not my, my area. If you are someone who is really good at, at, at building things, like working with their hands, I'm like, I have about Legos and then Ikeas right about the, uh, the top of my ability. It's just, it's, I don't have this thing. So, but you wouldn't listen to me about that authority, right? But if you knew someone who was a master craftsman and they said, hey, can I come alongside you? Like, absolutely. You have the authority. You have some, you know what you're talking about. Well, I'm, I am very blessed and very thankful that I have opportunity uh, every six weeks on a Thursday morning to be able to go uh, with other senior pastors in uh, the San Diego area, and some come even as far as, as um, uh, past L.A., to go to uh, North Coast Church in Vista. And if you know North Coast, I mean, they're a great church. They do a lot of incredible things, and they have two senior pastors. They have Chris Brown and Larry Osborne. Well, what Larry Osborne does is that he likes to take um, pastors that he could charge money for consulting. He could do all this stuff. But what he likes to do is to find local pastors, bring all senior pastors together. He just says, 
What's, up, what's on your plate? What questions do you guys have? And then he goes, he, people will ask their questions, they'll write it down, and he'll say, for the next two and a half hours, he'll just go question by question, answering them, just giving these nuggets of wisdom that are just, they're gold. And so I'm just taking notes, and it's an incredible thing. And the reason why I, I listen so dearly to what he has to say is that he's an authority in church leadership. He's someone that understands what that looks like, and he's been at various sizes of churches. He's helped things grow. He's, he's done things that haven't worked. He's done things that have worked, and he just wants to pass and pay that forward. So when he talks about church leadership, I, I listen because he, has, he is an authority in that area. And, it, and so we look at this, and as I kind of alluded to in a moment ago, the reason we know that Jesus teaches with authority, one, we see it in Matthew 7, that he spoke as one who had authority, not like the teachers of the law. But the reason he has authority is that what's the root word of authority is author. That if someone is the creator and author of something, they're going to have the greatest authority to know all the answers for it. That if you want to find out about a book, about a series, about whatever it is, you would ask the person who wrote it, hey, what did you mean by that? Because they are the author. And so we see it, Hebrews 12, 2, talks about how Jesus, that we fix our eyes upon Jesus because he is the author and perfecter of our faith. In some of your versions, it'll say the pioneer. He's the one that started it. But Jesus is the author, therefore he has authority. We also recognize that Jesus, the other way he's our advisor, is because he knows us deeply. In your notes, he knows us deeply, which means he knows our deepest needs. That we see that there are moments in which the scriptures, when he, it talks about how he didn't even need to know, or he didn't need to be told what people were thinking. Because he knows us. That he knows the cries in our hearts. He knows the depths of our pain. He knows the heights of our exaltations. He knows the everything in between. He knows what we need. And so if we know that he has authority, and he also knows what we need, how much more should we then be heeding his advice as our advisor? How much more should we be in prayer, not just talking at him, but listening to him, being with him? That we recognize that John 2.24 is an example of this. Now, while he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. He knows the things that I try to hide, you try to hide, that we try to hide. He knows the areas that we need to grow in most, which is often why we need to face the same lesson over and over and over again. He, like a physical therapist, will pull us and stretch us past the point of tolerance of pain in order that we may become stronger. And so we recognize that if he has authority and he knows us deeply, then we could trust him as our advisor. I have a, uh, my best friend um, is uh, my friend Nick, and we've been, uh, we started being accountability partners, I think, in 2008. And so we, you know, now it's a little bit harder because we're farther away, but um, we were able to spend some time with their family a little bit a couple weeks ago, and, and he and I spoke on the phone on Tuesday, just uh, being able to reconnect. And, and when he speaks, so when Jesus speaks, he has authority. He speaks as one who, who knows what's going on. When Nick speaks into my life, I listen because he knows me, he knows my history, he knows my struggles, he knows my heart, he knows uh, how, where I need encouragement. I mean, he knows me deeply. So Larry Osborne might know authority for church leadership. Nick 
I've given him the authority. I've given him the ability to speak into my life. And so we need both, right? We need someone who can help us as an advisor in both those ways. That is the author and has authority and someone who knows our deepest needs. And for many of us, that might be the same person. So Jesus is our advisor. That's the Old Testament idea. But then there's the New Testament idea that we see in 1 John 2. And in 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2, we're going to see the idea that Jesus is our advocate. He's our advocate. That it was a little over a year ago. It was probably mid to early, early to mid-October of 2017. And I, Steph and I, we had just been praying about you know, it's time for us to, to move forward into pursuing being um, a senior pastor and, and seeing where the Lord leads us. And I had a, a very close friend uh, named Jeff Snodgrass, and he and I actually spent the past two days planning all of 2019 sermons. Uh, for he's a, he's a church planner pastor up in Pasadena. And then so we kind of brainstormed. We're using each other's things. Brain, just I'm tired, but I'm so excited. Um, but with that said, Jeff was someone that he said, hey, come with me to this conference um, that's going to be in Irvine. I just want to introduce you to a few people. And so he's introducing me to some people here, and, and you know, he's, I'm very thankful he's speaking very highly of me. He introduces me to a guy named Todd, and he says, hey, you need to meet Todd. Todd is someone who works with Slingshot. And so he introduced me to Todd, and he just says, you know, he just spoke very, he advocated for me. He spoke highly of me to Todd. And we had maybe a five-minute, ten-minute conversation. Didn't get to know Todd very well. But because the Lord is good and his ways are above our ways and his timing is amazing, Todd was the person that was uh, commissioned or, or hired through Slingshot to help Pomerado Christian Church find their next senior pastor. So I'm able to be able to have a friend, Jeff, who's advocating for me to a guy named Todd who works with Slingshot, who then is able to advocate or present me as a potential option here in Pomerado Christian Church. And I could not be happier or more grateful for how God worked. But it started with someone standing up for me and advocating and say, hey, this, this, this person could do that. Some of us, we've never had someone advocate for us. We've had to fight tooth and nail in order to get everything. Some of us have had advocates, and it's such a blessing because what's, what's true about encouragement? Sometimes the most encouraging things is what, other, what someone else says about you in front of other people because it's just this idea of they're hearing it. You're recognizing that they're speaking highly of you. Yes to you, but to others so that they can hear the truth of that. And so what I want to do is this advocate language here in 1 John 2 is, is I want you to take a moment to picture this idea of, of, a, of a court case or, or a trial. Because there's two different sides. There's, there's the prosecutor, right? And then there's the defense attorney. And, and what we see here is if you were imagining with your mind the idea of if you were on trial, that God is judge, we see that Satan acts as both accomplice and accuser. Now, what does that mean? What that means is that Satan is the one that is saying, Hey, listen, I think, that, uh, I think that you should do this thing. Yeah, there, there won't be any consequences. No one's going to find out. It doesn't really hurt anybody. If you do this small little gap in your integrity, it's not going to become a big deal. No one will know. In fact, it's, everyone else is doing it, so what's the problem with it? And he's the accomplice that is telling you how, what to do. And then the second that we commit the sin that he is telling us to do so, he's now not the one who's whispering in your ear to do it. He's the one who's pointing the finger and saying, see God, see how bad of a sinner he is. See how bad of a sinner she is? See all the areas in which they've fallen short? So he's both the accomplice, but then the word Satan 
in the Hebrew just means accuser. It means the one that is going to point the finger and to bring up all your guilt. And not just that, but to create shame in you. That he looks and he says, look at all the things they've done. Whereas he's the one that was the one who was tempting us to do it. So imagine being on trial and then recognizing that the star witness for the prosecution was the prosecutor. Saying, listen, I know that they did this because I told him to do this. And yet he is removed from from the penalty that I'm going to have to face in that moment. He's both accuser and accomplice and accuser. We see in Job 1 this idea of Satan being an accuser towards Job. But then we see Jesus, on the other hand, who serves both as defender and as our death penalty substitute. That Jesus is the one that he's our defense. He's our advocate. He's the one that takes the penalty that was ours by earning and by rights of what we had done. He defends us and says, no, no, no. Because I died on the cross, their sins are washed away. They they are no longer covered in crimson. They are white as snow. The sins are as far as the east is from the west. That that God has judged. You see the righteousness that I lived and it has been imputed. It has been given. It has been put upon this person because of my sacrifice on the cross. Because I came back to life and because this person has trusted in me with their lives. So he's defender and he's the defense, or sorry, he's the death penalty substitute. First John 2, 1 through 2 talks about this idea. And what it says there is, this, is the fact that um, God has sent Jesus as our advocate. Forgive me, let me put, pull it up right here. 1 and 2 says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the entire world. That there's a thing that we say often, that if Jesus were to just die for your sin, that he would have done it. And and that's true, he does die for your sin. But if we make all of our faith or, or the understanding of Christianity just to be about my sin, then we lose sight of the fact that, our walk with God is much more communal. It's not a solitary journey. It's, it's people walking together as fellow sojourners on that journey. And so recognizing that it's not just your sin. Yes, it is your sin, not just your sin. No, it's sins of the entire world, the people that don't know him yet, the people that you would consider an enemy, the people that might be far from God. He died for them too. That We sang So Will I, the idea that there are a billion different ways we see his heart and it's, each one is a precious child that Jesus died to save. Not just our sins, but for the sins of the entire, entire world. So we see how Jesus is our advocate, look, using the Old Testament language of that word counselor. And then we look at the New Testament, or sorry, um, he's our advisor. And then on the New Testament idea of he's our advocate. That same word is the word that we use for, um, it's a paraclete, so it's the same thing that the Holy Spirit is our advocate. He's our guide. He's our counselor. And and in John 14, Jesus says, I'm going to give you another advocate. So again, he puts himself, he names himself as an advocate for us as well. So we talked about that there's two different ways in which that Jesus serves as our counselor, but there's only one way he knows how to do it, and that's wonderfully. So what makes Jesus so wonderful? 
that when you think about the word wonderful, it, it, it becomes this word that it's almost, it's almost hard to describe. It's like, oh, it's wonderful. Like sometimes you could say, oh, yesterday I had pizza. It was wonderful. Like, did it really fill me with wonder? Of course, the answer is yes. But the point is, <laughs> you need to recognize that maybe we use that word a little flippantly. But no, it's, it's this idea of wonderful and, and what it means in the Hebrew, in your notes there, is that the term wonderful means beyond understanding. That we would not be able to understand because we're so filled with wonder. It's not, oh, I like this a lot, and I needed to find a word between amazing and perfection, so I just came up with wonderful. It's that it's beyond understanding. It's beyond ability to, to verbalize. That's how great wonderful is. That we see in Judges 13, 17 through 18. It's a, it's a, it's a passage here where we see an angel of the Lord. But I want you to, um, to go through this. He says, Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, What is your name so that we may honor you when your word comes true? He replied, Why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. That word is, it is wonderful. You couldn't even understand or fathom the name that I were to give you. So don't worry about my name. But for our sake, we need, to, we need to place the word wonderful in its proper context. It being so great, so the fact that words fall short, it is beyond our understanding. Therefore, it's even further beyond our ability to be eloquent to explain it. And so his name shall be a wonderful counselor. Now, in 2011, uh, I had the opportunity, you think of the word wonderful, what I did think of is that I had the opportunity in 2011 to go to two different of the nat seven natural wonders of the world. That in April, uh, Steph and I had planned a trip uh, to be able to go see Lion King in Las Vegas, which worth it. And then we went to um, Williams, Arizona and took a train and spent one night in the Grand Canyon, like safely on a hotel, not in the Grand Canyon. <laughs> if you've not been to the Grand Canyon, it is, it is so hard to verbalize how big it truly is. It's, it's so crazy to be able to look at it and to be able to, to stand there. And we saw one sign. I didn't put the picture up, so you don't expect another picture. But there was a sign that was there, and it was kind of hard to read. And you kind of had to, like, go near the edge to be able to see it. And, like, you look at it, and it says, don't go near the ledge. I'm like, that would have been better with bigger writing. Um, but it's this idea, like, it's so vast. It's so big. And yet it is as if God used his pinky finger just to carve into the, into the earth because he is so big. That it was... It's beyond understanding if you've not been there. If you have been there, then you can just picture it. It looks fake because it's just beyond our understanding that it could be real. Yet it is. So that was in April. And, and actually, we had found out that uh, Steph was pregnant with uh, Shaylin, I don't know, five days before we left for that trip or something like that. So um, we were telling Shaylin the other day, technically, you've been to the Grand Canyon. It's not. Um, but then the. A couple months later in, in July, I had the opportunity with a missions team uh, to go to Zimbabwe. And so in Zimbabwe, uh, we had the opportunity to go to Victoria Falls. And Victoria Falls, it's, I think I've shared before, it's, it's called the thundering mist in the Shona tongue in the native language because you hear it before you see it, but then when you see it, you are amazed that you can't even fathom how much water is pouring and how, and how vast it is. And, and here it's like, you might not quite be able to see it, but you can almost see the, like, almost the entirety of a rainbow on the corner. Like, it's just so 
big and it's beautiful and it's unreal. And, and while we were there, it's called thundering because it's so loud and then it's mist because we just got soaked because it's just, there's so much water coming up. But this is again, so it's a wonder of the world. You look at it like it is beyond understanding how much water is here, how big this is. And again, it's as if God just turned on one little faucet, yet he has the entirety of the universe at the palm of his hands. That he is so big that it is beyond understanding. He is so big that it is wonderful. And yet, the greatest wonder that I saw that year was, was not Grand Canyon. It was not Victoria Falls. It was the birth of our first daughter. It was the idea that, man, this, this beautiful gift, that's what Shaylin's name means. It's, it's that you can't even understand it. We always, you always hear people like, I don't know, when before you have kids, you think you understand how to raise kids, right? Like you just think, oh, but that's not how I would do it. And all the parents like, that's cute. Um, but it's this idea of, of you think you know, but you are never fully prepared to be a parent. You're not fully prepared for, for the range of emotions you're going to feel. You're not fully prepared for the hard days. You're not fully prepared for the questions and the struggles and the issues. You're not fully prepared for the moment of recognizing that you've fallen short in ways that you wish you hadn't. You're not fully prepared, though, for the amount of love that can fit inside your heart. And then you're also not fully prepared for the moment in which you realize that God sees you as his child and he loves you that much, too. In fact, you're not ready for it because it is beyond our understanding. It is wonderful. See, the message of the gospel may seem foolish to go to your notes. It may seem foolish to people. 1 Corinthians 1, 18. We won't go to the scripture there. It's on there, but let's, let's hold off on that for a second. The message of the gospel may seem foolish to many, but to us it is powerful and it is wonderful. It is powerful enough to take us to give us a brand new life, that Jesus can make us a brand new creation. It is powerful, but it is so wonderful because it is beyond our understanding or our ability to fathom. And yet Jesus did it. And, and Jesus has done it for, uh, for those of us who've trusted him. And for those of you who are still on your journey, Jesus wants to do that for you too. And if you've not surrendered yet, it's an opportunity for you to recognize that, listen, you can have all the advisors that you want from different people's perspectives and professionals and people who claim to have authority, it's nothing compared to Jesus. That you may have an advocate, people who stand up for you, maybe say, hey, this person would be good at this job or hey, this person would be good for this opportunity, whatever it may be, but you're never gonna have an advocate like Jesus. That as a counselor, there are two ways in which Jesus is our counselor, but there's only one way he knows how to do it, and that is wonderfully. That is beyond our understanding, beyond anything that we deserve, but that is the love a father has, a, a mother has for their child, and how deep the love the father has lavished upon us that we might be called children of God. Now, I don't know about you, but that news is wonderful. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, and we thank you for the fact that you are here in this place. I pray, Lord, that if there are people who are still on their journey and they haven't Learn truly about who you are and how much you love them. God, that today would be a moment in which they recognize you as wonderful counselor, Jesus, as someone who is so beyond our understanding how you love us. 
and that all we have to do is to receive that love, to confess with our mouths, and then we surrender our lives to you. So Lord, I pray that in this Christmas season, this Advent season, as we herald, as we are seeing the signs that something is about to happen, that we would take to heart that you are, Jesus, our wonderful counselor. And may we live our lives in the light of that truth. We love you, Lord. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. If you would like to stand during this time of worship and respond, um, if you don't want to stand, you want to pray or sit, that's okay too. But let's respond to God however we need to as we sing this song together during our time of worship. So as we leave this morning, um, if you still need prayer, if you would like to come forward for prayer, I'll be up here. Um, I would love to be able to pray with you, and, and we could possibly get some more people to pray if you would like. Um, we have a lot of opportunities, like we said, uh, to be able to pick up an Advent devotional for your family as you leave, to find out about Gifts for Jesus in the lobby, to find out about the Women Like Us event out on the patio. Um, there's a lot of great things going, and, and I would just ask for you uh, to do this, this over the next few weeks is that people are more open to coming to church in the Christmas season than they are pretty much any other time of the year. And so this is an opportunity that maybe for some of us we're reticent to ask. Um, I had a conversation with someone at Starbucks. She's visiting from San Francisco. Her family, her daughter lives here. And so we were talking for a while. She just said, you know, what are you doing? Like, oh, I'm a pastor. She's like, I want to go to your church. I'm like, great. Um, but, but then also I was trying to like, get work done. And so it was fine. But, but just this idea, it's, it's this opportunity of stepping outside of maybe the moment in the coffee shop where I could just put my headphones in. But maybe you ask a question, get to know someone. Maybe it's your coworker or someone in your class. I mean, whoever it may be that your neighbor that you've said, hey, maybe I, maybe I should reach out. Yeah, but it's busy. This is an opportunity people will say yes more often than others. Let us take hold of this opportunity before God may be stirring in people's hearts right now. And we may have the opportunity to extend an invitation, not just for them to come to church, yes, but more importantly for them to come into right relationship with God. And there is no greater gift that people can receive this season than not the presence under the tree, but the presence of God's son who died on a tree for us. So thank you all so much for coming. If you need prayer, I'm up here. Find out about the opportunities we have. We'll see you next week as we continue our series through the Herald. God bless you all and have a wonderful week.